Hello, and welcome to the RevOps Spot, the show that goes deep into the world of revenue operations to deliver applied insights you can use to grow your business. I'm your host, Chris Bayliss, and today I'm not joined by Charles, but by a guest. So today we've got with us James May, who heads up revenue operations for tech startup HackerJob. Welcome, James. Thanks, Chris. Great to be here. Oh, brilliant. So, you know, before we get into today's topic, tell us a little bit about yourself and the journey that's kind of taken you to your current role. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I've been in RevOps or some form or another of RevOps since about 2018. Um, I, you know, really got my start as a kind of intern uh, at a you know wonderful tech startup uh, doing, you know, it, at that point it was really sort of manual data entry. So it was taking the leads that the sales team were getting um, and just entering them into the CRM, kind of, you know, the, the sort of first line of revenue operations. And I think doing that gave me the understanding of kind of how RevOps can be helpful. So, for example, you know, why, why is our sales team entering those leads when you've got a dedicated RevOps support? I could be doing it. Or why, why, are we not, why are we putting those leads into two systems when we can just be putting them into one? And then once we've got them into one system, we can use that to track them down the funnel, those kind of things. I think that's so interesting because, and I think so many people in RevOps kind of start from that place, don't they? Which is you've got to be at the coalface to really understand these little granular problems that mm. you don't necessarily see from on high, but you realise there's massive inefficiency in them. For sure, I think yeah, having that having that kind of first hand experience of what the team were doing. In fact, I even tried it out a little bit myself. Um, so I was, you know, a, sort of a failed SDR for a couple of months as well. But um, yeah, having that. Being a you know an actual user of the systems gives you a much better understanding of what people are doing, which was you know kind of an invaluable experience. And then yeah, like you know once you as I said once you've got them into one system, that unlocks just a huge amount of analysis and and data potential once once you've got that single system of record. And I think it all it all spirals from there basically. So you know once once you're kind of optimizing processes, you get involved with CRMs. CRM system, Salesforce, um, you know, you're, you're documenting what's going on. And, and yeah, uh, that, that's kind of how I, I got my start at RevOps. I've done RevOps in a B2B marketing environment, been done RevOps in a, in a legal tech environment, and I'm currently at a company called HackerJob, which is a recruitment tech platform, which is essentially making hiring for engineers a much faster and fairer process, trying to remove the bias. Yeah, and I, I think yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all to hear that it's in that sort of tech startup scale-up space because, uh, to me at least, it seems that in the UK, you know, that's what's driving the growth in revenue operations and and that that I guess that recognition that you can't just have a sales ops function and you can't just let marketing get on with it and who knows what CS are doing. You have to start bringing that together. And I think the sort of startup scale-up space is recognizing that, well, perhaps not recognizing that most, but certainly most able to act fast on that and, and you know, start delivering solutions in the form of a RevOps function. I agree. I think one thing that I found interesting is that a lot of um, companies, the companies I've worked at have been typically at a size of kind of 20 to maybe 120 people when I first got to them. And I think there's two things going on there. I think the first thing is that they're, looking to grow as quickly as they can. And there is such a kind of move to be moving forward. Um, you know, you, you've kind of got every everyone looking forward and you need that resource of a RevOps person to be kind of looking back and taking stock. And that's really where you get your efficiencies. 
And then secondly, because they're kind of small companies and they're all, you know, everyone's on the same floor, there are those, because everyone's on the same floor, it kind of fosters that kind of cross collaboration um, and people start working together. Um, and it's natural in that environment to be trying to look for the common common threads and and automate processes and streamline things between teams. Yeah, I guess it's I guess there's kind of pros and cons there, isn't it? Because, you know, in that startup culture, the alignment that we talk about so much in revenue operations is easier to create. You don't have these perhaps as big personalities quite as entrenched in their um, you know, in their silos as you would perhaps in an enterprise. But things are changing so fast that you almost you know, the revenue operations function is almost an essential because someone's bringing on a new piece of tech every ten minutes and changing a process or they didn't have a process in the first place and they've just been doing something and then someone comes in to you know head up an area that previously didn't have a head because that's just the way you're scaling so it's it's really um uh pretty dynamic i think as an environment it is and i think the the technology point is so interesting right because people bring on technology to try and solve a problem or speed up but if you end up bringing on you know the wrong piece of technology or, or um a piece of technology that doesn't necessarily fit your existing tech stack you can start to get silos and and processes that don't quite work and they become more entrenched so i think and i think what happens in in because the revenue targets are often so high in the in the um and the ambitions for growth also so high everyone needs to be kind of moving forward and moving quickly at the same time and to me that's what revops always really comes back to it's about saving time um if you can try and save people time on what they're doing if you try and save people time, um, you know, the manual day-to-day things that they don't need to do, and then you get them to reinvest that time in high-impact areas, not just in what they're doing, but also across the entire customer funnel, then you, know, you start to get the real benefits of RevOps and unblock some of those silos. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's all about driving efficiency, right? And, you know, I, I think that that tech thing and, and the sort of speed of adoption in terms of things that fix problems, you know, I think that, again, that kind of comes back to a, a speaks to the need for a revenue operations function, to my mind, because people are almost like, yeah, yeah, we, we, yeah we've got to move forward. We've got a three-figure growth goal. Um, you know, let's just do it. You know, let's bring something on. And actually, potentially that due diligence process that governance process gets lost and i think that falls to the to the rev ops team right to say whoa 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 let's uh, let's think about this in a slightly bigger picture way for sure yeah there's always there's always something fun to unpick that's been there before when you come in and um, you know as a new or the first rev ops person because you're really yeah you're the first as i said everyone's kind of looking forward and and you know, they're the strikers that they're, they're trying to score as many goals as possible, but they're not so concerned with what's going, you know, going on on the other side of the pitch, basically. Um, my terrible football analogies is someone who doesn't watch football, but... <laughs> <laughs> well, I probably watch less football than you because, you know, I, you had me there, so it, it works. So anyway, that's that's probably a good segue talking about big goals to talk about today's topic. So, you know, the title of the show today is about the RevOps metrics that matter. And I think probably just as importantly, we should also talk about how to actually get people to use them as well in this sort of fast-paced moving forward environment. So, let's get into it. Um, I guess let's start with a, well, a simple question to ask, probably not a terribly simple question to offer, um, to answer rather, um, which is, you know, in your opinion, James, what are the critical metrics that a RevOps function needs to be measuring? It's a good question. Um, I think, you know, if, if you've got a 
if you were a RevOps function with kind of unlimited resources, why wouldn't you measure everything? Like, why would you not try and track every single data point and pull it out? There's a couple of answers to that. I think, firstly, most RevOps functions <laughs> don't have unlimited resources. Um, Sadly most, not, of, yeah. most of them are pretty under-resourced. But I think also, um, you know, you might create a lot of noise in that situation. Um, you know, when you look at a typical kind of software as a subscription, RevOps org, they'll be looking at a number of different sort of similar metrics. So, you know, you might track the number of leads you're getting in, um, the number of MQLs, the number of meetings booked, uh, the pipeline and, you know, the revenue and, and sort of sales that you're making, the new customers you're acquiring and how you're retaining them. Um, but they can all mean that they can, one, be all calculated in different ways and two, they can all mean entirely different things to different people. And I think, you know, it, it goes back to that thing of the best metrics for your organization are often going to require a degree of thought and, and probably mapping things out. Um, I think one of the things that I always like to do you know, coming into a new RevOps org is think about like, what's the entire kind of process map, funnel, customer customer journey that people are going on and try and understand like, what are the different things we're doing with a customer? What are the different teams that are interacting with them? Um, and what are, the, what are the outcomes that we're trying to get the customer to realize? So what, how do we make sure that the journey that they're going on is, is, is kind of successful in our minds as it is in theirs as well? And from there, I think you start to get a better sense of, you know, what you should be tracking. So I think a good example, you know, you might, as a SaaS organization, you might track, you know, just a booked meeting. But what if one booked meeting is more important than another booked meeting? What if a booked meeting that's been, you know, sort of had that layer of qualification afterwards is better to track because that means that less people are kind of making it through that stage of the funnel or, you know, their time isn't being wasted. Or what if, a, what if a meeting that is, you know, booked with a specific account or a strategic account or an account in a specific segment is more important than another account? I think that's just it in a nutshell, isn't it? You know, with, with RevOps, certainly uh, to my mind, it, it's moving away from that measurement of quantity to a measurement of quality. And I think that then starts to get reflected in those metrics that you start to track. So I think it, you know, that, that point about it, you know, all meetings booked are not created equally. And indeed, probably all business one is not created equally. So starting to measure things like churn rate, measuring outcomes, measuring velocity within the pipeline. I think all, all of that really is the lifeblood of, of revenue operations to my mind, because you don't just say, okay, well, how much money are we trying to make and how many phone calls do they, the reps, you know, the SDRs need to do to, to kind of do that? It's actually, okay, well, when they do make one call and one rep makes 10 calls, does he get a better outcome than another rep that makes 110? <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's that measurement of actually what impacts the bottom line, I think. For sure, yeah. I think the churn point's particularly interesting. I think it's it's something that you know reframes the your sort of typical software like SaaS metrics that, that you don't see in other businesses. Because if, as you said, like if you're if you're bringing on customers who are you know not not good quality and, and they're they're moving away from your product quite soon after becoming a customer, that can actually have a much more detrimental effect effect to your growth even if your new business engine is kind of firing on all, all cylinders. And I actually think, you know, RevOps people typically come into it from a sales ops background. So they're, they're 
they have a tendency of kind of being blind to that side of the funnel. And it's definitely something I was cognizant of, you know, as, as I've kind of gone through my career. Um, I think with that, it, it comes back to that, that notion of like, what is successful um, and what is a successful journey that the customer is going on? And I think the answer to that is that, are you creating value for them? So if you're able to get a customer to be well, a paying customer, but they're also getting, you know, a huge amount of value from the platform, then they're going to be, or whatever it is you're selling, then it's good. You know, they're going to be unlike less likely to churn. Yeah. I think that's such an important point that so often I think in traditional organizations, the, the metrics that matter in inverted commas are the ones that put money in the till and it doesn't really go beyond that. But I think when you're in a SaaS organization, particularly one on sort of a product-led growth um, journey is, okay, well, actually, let's look at those usage statistics within the platform, within the service, you know, how many active users on the account are in the platform, you know, how long is it since the average user logged in against that sort of group of accounts, you know, starting to build uh, account health scores that relate to usage and interactions, not just account value at the point of order sign-off. Yeah, absolutely. So is that, is that something that's kind of baked into the, the day-to-day where you are now, or is that something that's in the sort of in the pipeline? Because I know you've only been there a, a, little, a, a little while, haven't you? A little, a little while, definitely coming up. The, um, I think at the moment, it, the, the priority is really trying to get visibility on the metrics that we do have. We're very good at defining those points in our customer lifecycle and, and moving people and understanding the movement of customers through that mm-hmm. for, from, you know, being first aware of a product all the way through to, you know, considering purchase and considering their first renewal. Um, I would call them diagnostic metrics, essentially. They're those things that you've got um, that are kind of the warning lights um, on on each stage of the funnel. So account health is a really good example of that. You know, what are the... What, what are the kind of usage attributes that would inform whether someone would renew? And I think going earlier in the funnel, I think another another way of looking at in perhaps pipeline and, and your outbounding is, you know, what's the level of engagement that you've got as well, um, which isn't something that, that has been conventionally easy to track, surprisingly. But, you know, what's the level of two-way engagement on an opportunity? Um, what's the level of two-way engagement between, you know, your, your outbound prospecting and your SDRs? Um, and there's a number of different tools these days to make that a much easier process. I think that's a particular hobby horse of mine, actually, that you know, organizations are very, very good at tracking activity. Um, you know, how many times has a salesperson picked up the phone? How many times have they emailed someone? But traditionally, actually, very, very poor at even asking the question of, okay, well, how many people actually replied or picked up the phone? <laughs> you mm. know, it's, really it's, uh, and I think that, that you know, that two-way uh, phrase that you use, I, I think is, you know, it is really that lifeblood of the health of a function and the efficacy of individual SDRs within that function, isn't it? Is are they actually getting a result? Are they getting a response? Absolutely, yeah. And I think actually just another point you made there is really interesting when we're talking about, okay, well, let's define, start defining the metrics that we should be measuring within the function is they're so dependent on what you've got in the tech stack, right? You know, the, what ability that gives us to measure stuff. So are there any bits of technology now that you sort of wouldn't do without in terms of your, their ability to measure metrics or to create metrics, should I say for you? It's a really good question. I am a big proponent of that Salesforce can do a lot more out of the box than people would realize, or, or indeed, you know, at HubSpot, um, not sure where HubSpot is at the moment, but 
you know, CRM systems can actually do a lot more than people realize. And I worry, well, not worry, but I work, I'm cognizant of the fact that these days it's really tempting to kind of bring on third-party solutions that can do a lot of what your CRM should be able to natively do. I think a really good example of that is the kind of interstage conversion um, or, you know, tracking when reps are doing things in the system. I think there's a lot of systems out there at the moment that can, you know, kind of map that for you. And but but actually, you know, with a little bit of time investment, your CRM is able to do that. Outside of that, I think, you know, some of the sales engagement platforms are really where you get the, the value and the return on some of those two-way metrics. Um, so, you know, sales loft and outreach being the most popular ones, but there are a couple of others. Um, I think they're particularly good um, because your your CRM system, you know, is your record of truth, but it might not be the thing that you want people manually entering information to. Um, and I think those systems, you know, follow the principles of kind of, you know, make it easy, make it repeatable, make it clear. And as a result of implementing them, you're going to get better data out the back of it. Yeah, I think that's that's so true, isn't it? It's kind of picking carefully, but also really understanding what you've got right now, not just saying, I've got this problem, let's Google it and see what else we can spend a monthly fee on. It's actually understanding the capability of, of what's already in the building. And, the, you know, I think if you're a Salesforce house, if you're a HubSpot house, then that tool invariably will do so, so much of, uh, of those requirements just with a little bit of thought um, and, you know, perhaps actually just a little bit of configuration without needing to really even do anything custom at all with it. Yeah, absolutely. Great. So uh, I guess just to kind of wrap this point up a little bit, you know, kind of hearing, playing back, I guess, some of the stuff that we've been talking about in terms of those key metrics. Yes, it feels to me that, you know, it's still obviously super important that we're tracking revenue and we're tracking, you know, that sort of customer journey and the metrics associated with that movement through life cycle stages and the speed that's happening there. Um, but actually, it's all just about understanding and building a set of metrics underneath that that, that speak to quality um, in each one of those stages. So, you know, just because we've generated some revenue, is there a churn rate associated with that? Is that churn rate increasing or is it decreasing as revenue is growing? So, you know, is there a measure of quality against that? You know, what are looking at things like kind of customer lifetime value? Um, you know, that's something that's going to be really significant in terms of then driving, you know, lower cost per acquisition, which in the SaaS space being so, so important. And I think uh, the other thing that really jumped out to me was that kind of conversation about usage metrics and, um, you know, that using that to drive things like customer and account health so we can really understand where we've got um, risk potentially, but also where we've got opportunity and, you know, opportunities to drive advocacy. Mm. Um, so, I think, you know, a natural kind of extension of that, well, what are we measuring piece is, to me, that sort of conversation around goal setting, you know, as you, you said right at the top of the piece, given unlimited time, unlimited resource, unlimited budget, you could measure probably literally thousands of things, I would expect, um, across that whole funnel. So, you know, when we're talking about goal setting, for me, I think it's really interesting to understand and, and to sort of see how organizations are setting goals, whether they're looking at them at an organizational level and looking at the, the customer journey holistically from one end to the other, or whether we're still looking at sales goals, marketing goals, 
service goals. Um, I get the sense that with, with many organizations, with probably the majority of organizations, we're still setting goals in silos. So um, I don't know what your kind of experience of, of, of that is and you know, whether there's a better way to, to approach it in your opinion. Yeah, interesting question. I think one way of looking at it is to go back to the customer journey map. So that flow, that you're, uh, the processes that you're trying to deploy to move your customer. Well, one, take them on a journey, but two, get them ultimately to a point of purchase. Um, and I think where you identify the bottlenecks often is where your conversion rates are slightly lower or slightly below where you'd want them to be. I think, you know, if you've kind of got 10% conversion from uh, MQL to sort of sales, being, being passed over to sales, for instance, you know you've got a problem there. And I think one way that metrics like the metric and, and sort of common unified goal setting can be helpful there is to try and define the metric as the solution to that problem. Um, so a good example of how we did it at a test, which was, you know, the first business that, that, I, that I got my starting with RevOps essentially, is that we, rather than it being, you know, a marketing qualified lead and then it being passed over to sales, why not turn that on its head and have a lead, have the metric that marketing are aspiring to as the number of leads that are going you know, into a sales cadence, we defined it as a sales accepted lead. And from there, you, that's how I think you come about with or how unified goal setting comes about, that you've got, a, you've got a metric there that both teams are working towards. And if you can get that conversion rate as high as possible, so rather than it being about you know, a sort of a standard that marketing is set and a standard that sales is set, the goal of that metric is ultimately for sales to have the same standard as marketing. And then you then you're trying to push through as much as possible. I think that's really, really interesting because, you know, is that's you know, to me almost speaks to almost a step beyond just talking about alignment. It's actually approaching the goal setting from the point of where the problems are. And mm. so, so often that's the point of interface, isn't it, between functions. It's the handoffs. It's something that, you know, we talk about on this podcast a lot is alignment and you know integration both at a process level and at a data level and at a technology level so it's the sort of bits where everything sticks together so yeah i think your point about let's look at the journey and when we approach our goal setting rather than saying how much money do we want to make this year which will inevitably something that's going to end up on the dashboard right but Mm -hmm. actually saying let's pick some goals where we know we've got a problem that help unify, that help the goals themselves actually help drive alignment between the different teams and therefore probably create greater velocity, you know, in in the funnel, in the customer journey. So that's a really, really interesting point. And I think if you don't set those goals and, you know, you have a metric to measure them, in this case, it was sales accepted leads, you are going to have, is going to exhibit a poor experience for the customer. You know, no one wants... No one wants a salesperson reaching out to them at the point that is, you know, too early. No one wants a salesperson reaching out to them if it's not the right thing for them. And no one also wants a disinterested salesperson who is, you know, kind of mandated to to reach out to this lead, but it isn't the quite quite the right thing for them. And I think that's where you kind of see these benefits um, and these returns to scale from having unified goal setting. If you can have metrics that are kind of supportive of an overall system and trying to take the right customers or the right prospects and turn them into customers and give them as much value as possible then you're going to see those those returns essentially yeah no i think that's that's so so true and um 
you know, I think what we're talking about here is, yes, it's absolutely sort of the fundamentals of, of you know, why RevOps is a good idea, you know, why there should be a RevOps function in your business, because you can look at things in this way, because you've got kind of the luxury, right, of not just saying, I've got a sales target, or I'm, I'm in the marketing team, and here's the metrics that, that I'm going to be measured on, it's having that, that oversight. But what, what I always think is really interesting is moving the mindset within the sort of senior leadership in the business in that direction. Um, you know, something that is a bit of hobby horse of mine is that, you know, not all good charts go up and to the right. But actually, unless we're talking about profit, I think that's invariably true. But it's quite difficult sometimes to wean senior management off the fact that they've always been told that, you know, more website visits is better, that, you know, more MQLs is better. <laughs> You know, because it, it, it just so, so often when you take that approach of quality over quantity, it just isn't true. So I just wondered what your kind of experience was of, of kind of generating leadership team buy-in around quality metrics and engagement metrics. I think that point about graphs going only up and to the right is an interesting one. Because I would, I think, you know, what, what you're talking about there is that, you know, you want them to go up and to the right, but the, the gradient of that curve, like if they if they're shooting through the roof, you might actually be getting in leads that are no good for you or, you know, your revenue might be exceed, accelerating incredibly, but it's all going to churn within three months or they're going to exercise their break clause, whatever it may be. Mm. Um, to me, the way I've always tried to get buy-in is, is to try and, is, is to similarly show them charts that aren't always going up and to the right. It's showing them charts that are going down, down and to the left occasionally. It's trying to show them things that they don't know. So, you know, it might be that we've cut the data in X way and we find that we have incredible acquisition in this segment, but then, you know, our, our, you know, our churn rate here is, is much higher or that, you know, we're generating a lot of pipeline, but it's all closing at this stage. We're moving things into pipeline and then it's all, all leaving pipeline. For RevOps to earn trust and be able to kind of cultivate these conversations around common goals, I think firstly, it needs to be able to illustrate where things are going wrong. And that all stems from how, how well your CRM is set up, how well your entire tech stack is set up to support the CRM users, um, and then being able to draw those insights out and tell people what they don't know. And then from there, you can start to go on that journey of, kind of setting metrics as goals, but you know, ultimately it's, it's solutions to problems. You know, once RevOps has earned that trust, it can be an advisor and say, okay, well, you know, maybe we need to focus two or three more people on the mid-market segment, or maybe we need to annul the notion of strategic accounts because no one is, you know, no one has the bandwidth to go after them, whatever it may be. Um, is always different. That's part of the fun, I think, of RevOps and, and this kind of uh, collective goal setting. And I, one point I will make as well is that I don't think that a lot of the material that's out there makes it necessarily easy. I think often, you know, you're a if you're if you're trying to become a, a an organization that that adopts a RevOps model, you Google RevOps and you see MQLs, SALs, SQLs, all in one order. And it doesn't tell you what actually it means to you. And the answer of what it does mean to you is what problems are you trying to solve for? And what, what are those you know, blockages and what are those problems that are causing you know, customers not to have a good experience, causing your funnel to be leaky, as some people say? <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I think that's actually a really, really interesting um, approach there, which is probably the way of kind of debunking that sort of quantity myth is is lifting the lid on it, right? And saying, mm-hmm. okay, well, yes, that's a big number and, and it's green because it's a bigger number than it was last month. But what does that actually mean? You know, what's going on underneath there? So it's, it's probably digging into that granularity um, of the data and saying, well, okay, yes, they've got more, but, you know, if we're talking about web traffic, really simple metric, yes, it's gone up by X percentage, but we can see that that's all from geographies where we don't have a presence or it's from competitors or it's from people that are just downloading this one thing and then we never see them again because we've spent a load of money in demand gen doing something or other, which doesn't really seem to have had any downstream impact. And I think in my experience, those are conversations that, rarely get had at a C-suite level unless something's gone horribly wrong and they're demanding an inquest into a particular piece of expenditure, usually. Yeah, um, absolutely. I think part of it as well is, is what, what, what are the C-suite and you know revenue leaders typically looking to do in the business? They're looking to explain the numbers. But it's not until you look at, you know, come back to this example of um, sales accepting marketing leads you know i think sometimes it can be that you know our we'd run a campaign um and the volume of leads would get higher and higher but then you'd look at the the email domain of the of the leads that you were acquiring and they were all our competitors now the cro or whoever's in that position is never going to have time to look at the you know, look look at the email domain and map it to a competitor and then realize that this is no good for sales. But by configuring your sales team to be able to record this as a competitor or by configuring your CRM to be able to say that email address belongs to a competitor, that is the kind of granularity or like configuration that a RevOps resource can give you. It's that level of detail that kind of debugs the numbers. Yeah, I, I think that's that's a really interesting point in the sense that, you know, when you start looking at that problem in a RevOps way, i.e. holistically, you know, looking at the people, the processes, the data model, the technology that you're using, you, you start debugging, as you say, you start refining. And, you know, for, for me, I think that that's kind of the nuts and bolts of, of why you've got a revenue operations function is to say, if we had a field there that we asked them to fill in, we wouldn't have this problem. Or if we had a mechanism for not capturing those kind of email addresses or bouncing those from the system or sticking those in another uh, report or whatever list, you know, then then we would have a truer picture of what was really going on so we could stop spending that money faster and not just leave it to the PCA at the end in that traditional kind of marketing way. That that's it, isn't it? And I think one way of thinking about that is that you know RevOps is responsible for delivering that kind of flywheel, that data-driven flywheel of, of continuous improvement, where insights are the kind of start and end of it. So you know you might have a you might have a hypothesis about why you're not growing, um, or you know why, why this this conversion rate is low. You will decide that you need to be capturing different data in order to solve that. That requires a process. It often requires tools that can make that process easier. Those tools require a level of training and enablement to make sure that they're adopted properly. And it's only with that that you can kind of get to the end of that cycle and get the insights that you want out the back of it. And I imagine from that, there'll be a hundred more questions. And I think, you know, there's kind of 
those those top level metrics that you know discussed at the top of the call you know the the volume of leads that you're getting in at the earliest part of your funnel so you know whether that be web traffic or form fills or you know further down hand raises people saying that I'd, you know i'd like to speak to a salesperson meetings um moving through to pipeline moving through to revenue and and hopefully retaining that revenue they are all you know top level table stakes these things these are kind of numbers that are tracking a configuration of these numbers is helpful to be able to understand you know at a base level what's going on and you know are we going to be able to hit target next quarter but in order to understand how you're going to be able to increase those targets quarter on quarter and how things are you know going to how how you're going to scale things and not be able to not things aren't going to fall over is the term I use um mm. you need to be sort of debugging your revenue funnel and and trying to surface new insights and answer questions about what's going on um and you know that's where those diagnostic metrics are coming in uh, how yeah. many you know how many of these belong to competitors um how many of these leads just aren't talking to us or are sending us unsubscribed messages those kind of things that can inflate the numbers sometimes yeah and i think that those kind of diagnostic metrics as you as you term them you know they're they're the lifeblood of hypothesis testing aren't they you know it's mm. if we if we've got a a mechanism of measurement for the things that then drive our sort of you know theorizing on how to make stuff better then again you've probably got a pretty effective revenue operations function even if you're not calling that if you're actually measuring that stuff and acting on it because that is revops and um you know it, it seems to me then as we're sort of almost looping back to the start in terms of well what are the metrics you know it's, it sounds like you know from from your point of view and i i totally agree if, if uh, is that you've kind of got three categories of metrics you've got your sort of primary big numbers metrics you know funnel metrics if you if you will um then you've got these sort of engagement metrics that sit along in terms of okay well what you've got quantity metrics you've got quality metrics and then you've got sort of diagnostic metrics which potentially do sit in both of those other camps but they're the ones that you're really using for sort of debugging the process for building hypotheses and acting upon them and testing the testing the result of those is that that's does that kind of feel like the way yeah, that you're approaching it yeah i think that's largely it and i think it's it's if, if you're only focused on the quantity and as, as i think so many people are those numbers are the conversion rates at each stage. It's not going to continue like that forever. Um, and often, you know, the modeling that someone more senior in the business, you know, it typically does continue like that. You know, if we can hold this constant, then we can do this. And you need to be mm -hmm. investing that kind of, you need to be investing that debugging, that, that kind of sort of more scientific analytical resource in order to make sure that you can keep those conversion rates constant. Yeah. I mean, something that uh, I know that we've we're kind of we've talked about before kind of offline is, is this sort of relationship between the goals that you're setting, and, you know, how you then drive the behaviors that create those goals. Um, you know, something that we're really passionate about is the people component in the sort of in metrics and goal setting so i think a really good example of that is sales teams particularly i you know i hate to pick on sales teams but they're an easy one to talk about in this respect is you know they would almost certainly only do the things that they're measured on or the things that and that thing that they're measured on is typically let's hit a target at the end of the month and at the end of the quarter and at the end of the financial year um, so they'll do the things that get them towards that and those things in 
my experience don't often include things like really high quality data capture and filling everything in in the CRM <laughs> with uh, you know a degree of robustness. So I, I wondered whether you got kind of any experience of um, you know changing the way that KPIs work in the sales team, changing remuneration uh, models, or any thoughts on that to help sure that you drive the right result. It's an interesting one. I think what you can do for sure, and it, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about at the top of the call, is, is you know, when you're trying to understand the, particularly those handover points, if you're, if you're trying to book a, you know, a sales meeting, let's say, um, there is, if you're just compensated on meetings, the incentive is so much to, you know, I think the expression people use is chuck a meeting over the fence or chuck a lead over the fence. It's so tempting to, to try and just book you know, if your target's 20 meetings, book 20 meetings and you're, you're totally, totally agnostic of quality. Mm. And I think there's a couple of ways you can get around that. I think the first one is, you know, having some kind of verification. So having, you know, if there's a handover, having that verification done on the other side of the fence, as it were. And then I think, you know, equally, it might be some qualification criteria or it might be that they are meetings or, or you know, a, a metric that is part of a specific segment. But equally, I'm, I'm less of a fan of kind of KPIing the way that things are filled out. Um, mm -hmm. I think, you know, if we are, if you try and KPI and target people on, on you know, their, their CRM hygiene, I've never seen it work particularly well because, you know, the, the filters are so binary. It's either they have filled it out or they haven't. So yeah. you, know, you, you KPI people on putting in loss reasons and all of a sudden they've just kind of put in one word answers. I think a much better way to go about that problem actually is to just, you know, in kind of the, the principles of getting people to do things and um, make it as easy and as clear as possible. So, you know, tools like um, CRMs aren't the sexiest thing. They're not, you know, what people like to be spending their day in. But tools exist, Scratchpad, Dooley, ones that allow you to kind of get that data into the CRM, you know, make it much more obvious to the salesperson, make it a much more attractive prospect. And from there, you get that kind of adoption to to filling in those those bits that inform the kind of hypothesis testing that you're doing as a RevOps person. Um I'd be curious to know if you've seen any success from that and, and you know, KPIing those, KPIing kind of entry of specific fields. Yeah, I, I think it's a really interesting um, point of view you've got there because yeah, I, I think we historically kind of, um, not exclusively, but in certain scenarios, I think building the remuneration model around um, the way people interact with the system um, has worked, but I totally agree with you that if you're making them interact with something that inherently doesn't work for them, it won't work. You can't do one without the other. Um, you know, you have to make sure that the systems and the processes are, are totally valid, are efficient. You know, do deliver for the for the individual, and then once you've got that system in place having a last nudge over the edge to to ensure that they're you know doing the right thing um I, you know we we definitely have seen success with that but totally agree with you you know if if the the process itself is rubbish then all you're doing is creating employee dissatisfaction because you're forcing them to do something which doesn't inherently make sense um but you know you'd like to think that in the enlightened world where you have got a rev ops team in the business that shouldn't be the case anyway <laughs> you, i mean yeah go, going through my head you can imagine a world where there's kind of a a, a, you know, a leaderboard for, you know, who's, who's got the most filled out opportunities. But, you know, someone might have the most filled out opportunities because they are 
further into the sales cycle um, or, you know, whatever it may be. Mm. I equally think, you know, turn, turn that example on its head. The system in the system that RevOps or that sales users, marketing users use exists in the way it does because of a RevOps person. Um, and the incentive, therefore, should be on me to try and create the most user-friendly system that gets the most adoption organically rather than rather than kind of, you know, yeah. dang- dangling $50 bills. In front of <laughs> <laughs> yeah, d- dangle the $50 bills in front of the RevOps guys. That's way better, isn't it? Yeah, the, yeah, uh, the sales guys get all the commission, don't they? Yeah. Compensating <laughs> me on how they're using the system. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that, that, that works for me. Um, so I guess a, a kind of a, a final point, which is, um, I guess, associated to what we've just been talking about um, in many ways is kind of around data capture. Um, and, you know, I think when we're looking at kind of customer data capture throughout the funnel, you know, I, I'd be really interested in your opinions on kind of what best practice looks like there and, you know, how much is too much and what kind of tech you like in that space. Probably my favorite topic. Um I think if you're worried it's too much, it probably is too much. I think it's so tempting to come into, if you're if you're a new RevOps person coming into an org that's got existing fields there, to assume that all of those fields are important and they're all being used. Um, it's certainly something, a trap that I fell foul of uh, in my early days as a, as a kind of RevOps exec. Um, I think there's three questions you've ultimately got to answer for any field that is on the page you know firstly is another team looking at this is it part of their handover secondly um is it going into a specific report so is it being used as we've discussed you know to try and debug our revenue funnel um and and be able to kind of drive a better drive you know drive some of the reporting and segmentation or thirdly is it informing the salesperson so you know is it trying to create a positive habit that improves the customer experience something like you know medpick or champ or whatever your qualification might mm-hmm. be having that open in front of you as something that you need to fill in on the CRM um, is helpful for reinforcing that behavior when people are going about their you know talking to customers mm-hmm. um, and I think you know, some of those inputs will fuel most, uh, like two or three of those criteria. So, you know, take competitor, for example, um, the ability to kind of segment your NRR by the competitors you've previously come up against is incredibly useful. It's incredibly useful for the account manager who's taking over that account to be able to see that they've worked with X competitor. Um, And lastly, you know, having that field just in the system is more likely to get someone to ask about that competitor and you know you might have a battle card or whatever it may be mm-hmm. um, so i think yeah my I, my attitude is really you've got to make sure that you're that what you're capturing is as lean as possible and for a purpose because otherwise you start creating a degree of disillusion and it becomes messier later down the line yeah I, and i think that's um that's so true is yeah, you, there needs to be a reason, right? You know, if you're going to put anything in there, it needs to be driving something really meaningful and it needs to be not at the detriment of something else, be that customer experience or employee experience um, at the same time. But I think the other thing which kind of, which sort of struck me there as you were talking, which is, um, you know, it feels like um, for you, it's, it's as much about how we capture, how we surface those properties 
um, to the team as it is about what the properties are and what whether we're asking them to fill them in. So, um, you know, in in that sort of you know medpick example, you know, are you kind of surfacing a a playbook or something that's kind of sort of form driven effectively in CRM to make sure that they're sort of had a gentle nudge in the right direction to fill it in? Yeah, I mean, as native CRM has a number of different ways that you can prompt the right behavior. I mean, the, the mere existence of a field is, is likely to to get someone to to ask that specific question. And, you know, if you've got something like, you know, you want to, you want to fill out um, what their challenges are, you can then prompt in, an, a, you know, a number of specific questions that you might ask at that point. Um, I've already plugged scratch pads, but, you know, <laughs> if, um, one of the functionalities of that tool, which feeds directly into Salesforce, is the ability to kind of surface a playbook. Um, and you know, have a have a note taking app that you might fill out as you as you go through. Um, but yeah, I think you do you do have to make it kind of just as lean as possible. Salespeople have, and anyone who is really using the CRM has, you know, a kind of finite bandwidth. You can't keep mm-hmm. on layering and layering on different inputs and expect to have really rigid data quality. People are going to start to kind of have that disillusionment and start to sort of check out of using the CRM if it's a total mess. Yeah. Um, so yeah, firstly, be strict and make sure that they are their fields that are informing, you know, a, a sort of a wider customer experience and, and sort of exist as part of the whole system and that, you know, the data is being collected in a, as lean a way as possible. Um, but secondly, look to automate where, where possible. Um, I think there's a tendency to kind of go, oh, you know, well, why would we automate it when we can just get someone to put it in? And actually, it should be the other way around. If you can, if you can get it into the system by, you know, if, if it's rather than it being declarative, being behavioural, so whether it's coming from a separate app or whether it's coming from just them using the system inadvertently, um, and it's just captured in the metadata, make sure that you're doing as much as you can to, to ease the burden off users. From there, you're going to have better adoption to the CRM, which means you're going to have one better kind of qualitative declarative data that's going to help you to debug your revenue funnel better. But secondly, even, you know, even those kind of metrics of moving things to close one at the right time um, and setting the right close date um, that inform things like your sales velocity and your sales cycle. If your CRM is easy to use, you're going to get better data out the back of that as well. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Well, look, I, I think for, that we're probably going to have to leave it there for this week. That has been so, so interesting, James. So thanks so much for sharing your insight um, on this topic. It's been really interesting for me and I hope it's been really interesting for everyone listening. Next week, we're also hoping to have another special guest on the show. So stay tuned um, to find out more about that. Um, and before we go, I'd just like to make one small request, which is if you've enjoyed the show today, then it really helps us promote it if you can subscribe and rate the podcast and you know if you could take a second to do that um, after you finish listening it would be fantastic for us and uh, in the meantime if you're hungry for more revops content before next week then check out revops-lab.com thanks for listening and thanks james cheers